Welcome to the Reach College Podcast with your speaker, Krista Smith. So we literally sat there and I watched her delete all of her social media. Because you have to know that person in order to know how to pray for them. Uh, okay, well, cool. Um, okay, if you guys have your Bibles, you guys can go ahead and turn to First Thessalonians. Sorry, this is always such a process for me. Um, okay, so we are starting a new series today, um, and I didn't put the, the title up on the board, and I wanted to. If you guys are title people and want to title your notes... Um, the title for today is called Reproducible Lifestyle, um, and this series overall is called Eternal Perspective. And so I kind of want to give you guys an overview of this whole series, um, and then we'll jump into it. So, um, if you guys were here for the past five weeks, um, Taylor did a series on 1st John, and he talked about the assurance of salvation, and so... And this is just how cool the Lord is. Um, literally every day I would sit here and like listen to Taylor talk. It was just so cool because every time he would say something, I'd be like, ah, oh, that's going in line with what I'm going to teach on in a few weeks. Um, isn't that so crazy how the Lord works and moves in our hearts? So it was just super cool. So with all of that, um, Taylor talked a lot about how we can know that we know that we have salvation. And so in this... Um, it's cool because you have salvation and then you don't just have salvation and you're like, good. Okay, when you come to know Christ, things change in your life and you gain this eternal perspective. And so that's really the whole outline of Paul's um, letter in First Thessalonians. And so again, you have this perspective as a believer, this eternal perspective um, is living as if Jesus is coming back tomorrow. And so kind of to unpack that a little bit, it's this thought of, hey, how can I live as if Jesus is coming back tomorrow or even today? Like asking yourself, what do I want to be seen doing when Jesus comes back? Um, and so in all of this, too, it's really interesting because Paul doesn't even really talk about the day Jesus comes back until the last chapter of 1 Thessalonians. But throughout the entire book, he talks about these aspects of just how we can be ready for this and how we should be living our light or our lives in light of this eternal perspective. And so with that, um, this whole series is very discipleship heavy because as believers, what are we called to do? We're called to go and make disciples. Yeah. Um, but I've seen in my own personal life, um, I didn't even know what a disciple was until I got to college and I grew up in the church. Um, I didn't know how to make a disciple. I didn't know any of that. So going to talk about that. Um, and I'm just super excited about this all um, in all of this. So with that too, I um, kind of was thinking and praying through this. And when I was thinking about all of this, and especially going off of what Taylor had just talked about, about our assurance of salvation, I started thinking about how little we share our stories of salvation with each other. Um, and a lot of times we encourage each other with scripture or like praying with our fellow believers, but there is often little moments 
where we sit across from a fellow believer and we go, hey, tell me your story. Um, and so I thought about this a lot and I kind of debated if I wanted to do this. And then I had dinner with Brittany one night and I was in the process of like, I don't even know if you know this, but I was in the process of like thinking and praying about all of this. And I met with her to teach her how to run the social media account for this class. And then I asked her how long she's been a believer. And she told me her whole story. And the next thing I know, we're crying in a Chick-fil-A booth together. And I was just like, I was so, it was just so cool. But I left that feeling so encouraged because she just was like, yeah, this is how the Lord saved me. And so I think it is because you have this aspect of, okay, we're saved, now we have this eternal perspective, but how do we come to know Jesus? How do people come to know Christ? Um, so with that, we only have five weeks to do this, but every week I do have somebody that I want to come up and share their story and encourage you guys with it. And then go. Then we'll go through um, First Thessalonians. So I asked Brittany to come up and share her story with us this first week, and then we'll go through First Thessalonians. So you can go ahead and come up. Um, and you have to use this mic, so I don't know okay. how you want to do that, but. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah there you go, girl. We'll have a dope collar. <laughs> okay, cool. Just don't I'm just going to throw it. I just need it. Let me set my timer because if y'all don't know me, I'm a talker. And so, um,. I, I appreciate that. Uh, I'm also super duper nervous. Um, so just bear with me. Okay. My family was always in and out of church while I was growing up. And we never really made it a priority. It was mostly a checklist sort of thing, um, kind of like a facade so that, you know, we all looked like a good family going to church, um, but we never really took it seriously. Nevertheless, I accepted Christ when I was eight, got rededicated when I was 15, and baptized at 17. So I was doing pretty good, right? You know, meeting all the checklists, meeting all the requirements, you know, everything looked good on the outside. Um, but when I turned 18 and I got my first job, um, I was thrown into the world. And as a, nothing wrong with being homeschooled, but as a homeschooled, sheltered, foundationalist Christian, um, I started to sacrifice my beliefs for the sake of my comfort and for the comfort of other people. Um, the point is, at that time, I had no deep relationship with Christ. And the scary thing was, is I had convinced myself I did because I had grown up a good kid. Four years later, um, I ended my first relationship, uh, and everything went downhill from there. I had immersed myself so far into the world that by the time I believed every lie that the world had told me, that I was gay, that I shouldn't have been born a woman, and that women had no value, and that I had no reason to be alive. I turned to my sin to make me feel better. I got a girlfriend, I started dressing like a boy, um, but I only felt more depressed, more anxious, more suicidal and more lonely. I was so lost and so deep in the lies of the enemy that I could not see my way out. I thought my decision to set God and his rules aside would set me free, but it didn't. And I thought God hated me, but he didn't. 
Through some miracle, I managed to still make friends, godly people who cared and loved me and invited me to church. Reluctantly, I started to go because I remembered how worship used to make me feel, but I only felt conviction at that time. As I kept going, it brought community and healing and truth, and I finally couldn't bear to keep living the way I had always lived, hurting and lonely and lost. I remember praying to God and telling him that I was going to be obedient from then onwards, and I did. I left my job, I ended ungodly relationships, and by God's grace alone, I ended my long-term addiction to pornography. Um, I got into counseling for my gender identity issues, and most importantly, I really started chasing and learning who Jesus really is and what that meant for me. And to do that, you have to be willing to give up everything and anything. The really crazy part is that he healed me. To stand here and say that I'm not gay, I was created female just as God intended me to be, that he took away the awful loneliness and hurt that was so bad sometimes at night, crying myself to sleep and scared that I was going to take my life. I can only give God glory for all that he's done for me. And not only that, but to turn it all into peace, to joy, and so many friends that I can't even remember all of your names. Um, One of my favorite bands is Red. They're a Christian metal band. Everybody feels kind of differently about that. Um, but one of their songs is called Never Be the Same. It's from my favorite album, uh, Innocence and Instinct. You should, the whole album is a bop. Um, but it's called Never Be the Same. And it goes like, I will never be the same after loving you. And that's how I feel about God. Now that I've learned how to love him and what his love actually looks like, God has made me new, and I will never be the same. <laughs> we just relived our Chick-fil-A moment. <laughs> oh, hold on. I'm sorry. I always struggle with this. We're going to have to find a better way to do that. Anyway, um, okay, so, and now, like, I mean, I don't know Brittany super well or anything. Like, we don't hang out all the time, but... I know her heart and I know that her perspective has changed drastically since Jesus has changed her. And so what does that eternal perspective look like? So that's basically what we're going to be talking about. And I mean, even in that, like I told her, I was like, we literally just relived that moment in Chick-fil-A. Um, but something she didn't say this time, but I will never forget. You said this when we were, you were telling me your story, you just sat there and you were like, I don't understand how God could do something like this. And I think that's just such a beautiful thing to see like, okay, I know I'm saved. This is how it happened. And this is how my life has changed. And this is how my perspective has changed. So First Thessalonians chapter one. Um, so now we're kind of going to get into what does this look like? Um, and so again, like I said, today is titled Reproducible Lifestyle, because as Christians, we're called to make disciples, which causes us to reproduce our lifestyle, reproduce our lifestyle of following Jesus. So um, a question I want you guys to think about throughout this whole time, and honestly, just this whole week, and even go and pray um, over this, is do I live a life worth reproducing? 
Ask yourself that. And you might not know the answer right now. You might be like, I actually don't know. And that is totally okay. Um, but pray about it. Ask God, do I live a life worth reproducing? And I just hope um, as we talk just today that you guys um, begin to think about these things, begin to think about the things that you do need to sort through um, to cause you to live a life that is worth reproducing into others. Um, because again, as Christians, that, w- that is what we are called to do. So... 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Greetings. Paul, Silas, um, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. Okay. Um, first point and another question you ask yourself is, who do I surround myself with? So in here, we see Paul, um, Silas, and Timothy. So Silas um, was with Paul in the Philippi jail. And you can read about that in Acts 16, 19 through 30. Um, so Paul was with um, Silas, and Silas was with Paul doing ministry, and they got thrown into prison for it. And he also came to Thessalonica with Paul. And we read that in Acts 17, 1 through 9. I'm not going to read all of that just because they're big chunks of scripture. Um, but with all of that, we see that Paul was surrounded with Silas. We also see that Paul was surrounded with Timothy. And now, um, we know because of First and Second Timothy, the letters written by Paul to Th- Timothy are these letters of how to live a Christian lifestyle. And we see that. And we see um, that Paul also had sent Timoth- Timothy to the Thessalonians prior so that they knew of Timothy. And we see that in First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2. Okay, why does this matter? Why does this matter who Paul is surrounding himself with? Um, two things. One, do you surround yourself with people that challenge you? Because this is going to help you have a reproducible lifestyle. And that's like why I love Reach and why I love BCM, because I know so many believers who are more mature than me that I can just sit around and talk with. Um, and they'll just tell me, they're like, yeah, I shared the gospel with this coworker today. Or yeah, I did. I learned this in my quiet time. Um, even just like, I mean, Taylor and PJ, I would just go into their offices and just like ask them questions about whatever. Um, But I know that I could ask them these things like about the Bible and about what I was learning and I was surrounding myself with them because these people challenge me. So it keeps me accountable to live a life worth reproducing. But I think on the flip side of that, the thing that we don't often think of is Am I putting myself around people to the point where I can't afford to not live a lifestyle worth reproducing? So what do I mean by that? The people you disciple. Do you hang out with the people that you are discipling? Like Paul was hanging out with Timothy to the point that, I mean, Paul could not afford to not live a life worthy of the gospel because of who was surrounded by him, because he was the example to Timothy. And so, yes, Paul was going to slip up. Paul was going to stumble and fall at some point in times, but in all of this, he was bringing Timothy along with him and was causing himself to be an example. And I want you guys to think of that. The people you disciple, do you bring them with you um, to experience things? Or do you guys just meet at a random Starbucks every Tuesday morning and talk about what you guys learned that week in the Word? It's seriously not just a Bible study that you're having with another believer. It's you saying, hey, come with me. 
um, to help me set up for this event. Or, hey, come with me to share the gospel with this person. The girls I disciple, I bring them over to my house all the time. One, because they love my dog. But two, they get to see like how I interact with my mom. They get to see how I interact with my sister. Um, I bring the girls with me that I disciple um, to set up for like BCM events and things like that and to plan these things. And yes, in this, sometimes we are talking about biblical things. Sometimes we're just talking about our week, but it's all about them having this experience, but it's also keeping me accountable to live a life worthy of reproducing because the people I'm wanting to have this lifestyle be reproduced in are hanging out with me. Does that make sense? Okay, because whenever I was writing this, I was like, this makes a lot of sense. And I was like, ah, I don't know if it actually does. But um, so again, Paul could not afford to live a life that was not an example to younger believers. So do you put yourself around younger believers that challenge you to live this life that is worthy of reproducing? And then on the flip side, do you put yourself in place of people who challenge you, who are more mature believers? Do you have someone that you have discipling you? And even in this, um, the people that you keep around you um, a really simple, simple way that you can live a life that is worth reproducing is being vulnerable with them. And there's a girl that I've been discipling for a while. Um, I met with her two weeks ago, and I told her I got off of my Facebook and my Instagram because it was just consuming a lot of my time. Um, and I told her I'm support raising for my new job. And I told her, I said, I'm not getting back on social media until I'm fully funded. That's like my goal. And then yesterday we met and she brought that up because I had been talking about how getting off of this has literally revolutionized my relationship with the Lord. And we were talking about it yesterday and she was like, yeah, she was like, I think I need to do that. But like, because I look at Instagram reels a lot, she was like, I got rid of TikTok, but then you have these Instagram reels. I just, I can't. Anyway, um, and so we were talking about it, and she was like, but I use my DMs a lot. And I was like, girl, I was like, what do you look at on your DMs, the reels that people send you? And she was like, oh, you're right. So we literally sat there, and I watched her delete all of her social media, and I just was like, okay. But it was in this that, like, I had brought her into this experience with me to the point that she was like, huh, that's keeping me from growing deeper in my relationship with the Lord. And that was also keeping Krista away from that, and Krista got rid of it, so maybe I should do the same thing. Okay, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Verse 3. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so... Um, another aspect of having an eternal perspective is you pray for others, okay? It's a really simple concept, but it's not something we often do. Um, we just did, we did a series on prayer earlier this semester, um, but praying for others is so hard. And why it's hard to pray for others is because you have to know that person in order to know how to pray for them. And a lot of times we don't take the time to get to know other people because it's really easy to talk about yourself. But you have to ask yourself, am I praying for these people? Am I praying for the people that I disciple? And some of you guys might be sitting there and you might be like, hey, I'm not praying for the people that I disciple because I'm not discipling anybody. And so this whole series, 
it seriously might just be you having to understand, like, I need to be discipling somebody. Because if you have grown up in the church and you know a lot of things and you're just keeping it to yourself, what's stopping you from discipling somebody? And yeah, you guys might be scared too. You might think, I don't really know what I'm doing. Okay, ask somebody. I have never been in a church that loves discipleship as much as Evergreen. I've never been around people who love discipling people as much as a lot of y'all in this very room. And it's so encouraging to me and so cool to see. Um, But literally ask somebody, read a book on it. There's a ton of books on discipleship about it. I'm reading a book right now called The Lost Art of Discipleship. Oh my gosh. And I'm reading it with the girl I'm discipling. And it's blowing her mind. And it's changing how she disciples people. Um, But read books. Get into it. Disciple people. Because again, what is the thing that Jesus told us to go and make? Was disciples. Because the gospel should not stop with you. You should go out and you should share with others and disciple others onto it. So, ask yourselves, am I praying deeply for those that I am discipling? If you want to flip to John 17, um, this is an example of Jesus doing this. So in John 17, um, starting in verse 14, Jesus, okay, also, this is just cool to think that literally Jesus is praying for those he's discipled. Like, Jesus was praying for these men. Jesus was taking time to pray for the needs of these men that he spent his time investing in. And he says this, in verse chapter 17, verse 14, he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus prayed for those he discipled. And he didn't pray that they would have easy lives. Like, he literally prayed that they would go out into the world and do the work that he has called them to do. Are you praying for those you disciple? Are you asking, God, I pray that you would challenge them in their faith this week. I pray that you would challenge them and give them someone to share the gospel with this week. Are you praying deeply for those that you disciple? And this is the whole thing about discipleship too, is sometimes it's not fun. Sometimes uh, you give the people you disciple uh, something to do that week and they show up and they go, yeah, I didn't do it. And you're like, what is the point of us meeting then? <laughs> and sometimes it's discouraging in those ways. But through prayer, that is where a lot of the intensive labor comes into discipleship. And you're not even with that person. You are just laboring over them in deep abiding prayer. Having an internal perspective means you're aligning your heart with God's, and if Jesus took the time to pray for the men he discipled, how much more should we also take the time to pray for those that we disciple? Verse 4, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in the word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake, 
and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in, and in Achaia. Okay, so now we get into this kind of concept of Paul saying, okay, this is what living a reproducible lifestyle looks like. And I love in the very beginning of this, um, in verse 5, when it says, Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. And I think a lot of reason why a lot of us in here don't disciple other people is because we don't fully believe in the gravity and the power of the gospel. And I know that's kind of hard to hear, um, but ask yourself, do I actually believe that the gospel can change men's lives? Do I actually believe that the ladies or the men that I'm discipling and I'm praying for, that God is actually working on their hearts for the things that I'm asking him to work on their hearts for? Like, are we actually believing the things that we say and that we do? Um, and do we believe that that person that we are discipling, that the gospel can come in and can change their lives? I had a girl at BCM, and she was, um, she had a discipleship group of two, two girls, and she was meeting with one of them one-on-one, -on -one, and um, she kind of was getting this sense that this girl was not a Christian. And so she just looked at her and she said, can I just share the gospel with you? And she did. And then she looked at her and she she just kind of asked her some questions. And the girl looked back at her, back at her and she was like, you know, I've heard this, but I have never believed in the power of this. And right there, she gave her life to the Lord. But it was in the moment that that girl that shared the gospel, she did that because I know full well she believed in the power of the gospel. So you have to ask yourself, is this my conviction? Do I believe in the power of the gospel? Do I believe that it can change men's hearts? Do I believe that it can cause the ladies that I'm discipling to change their ways so that they go and delete their social media so they can just spend more time being closer to the Lord? Like, do I believe these things? That I, do I believe the things that I'm telling my disciples to believe that I don't even believe? Because you cannot set a standard for people that you yourself don't even meet. And then we see um, in verse 6, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so now um, Paul is saying that these people are becoming imitators of him. They're becoming imitators of his lifestyle because his lifestyle is pointed towards Christ. And we see this um, because also a lot of us, some of you guys might be sitting in here, and you guys might be thinking, okay, that's cool and all, um, but... Like, do I really have to take the time to make a disciple? Like, do I really have to do that? Like, why can't we just send everyone to um, Falls Creek or Collegiate Week and just have them all be saved there and then we're good? Okay, I'm glad you asked that question. Because um, some of you guys have seen these numbers appear and you guys are like, what does that mean? Um, the first time I ever read these numbers in this list, it blew me away. So I read this in this book called The Fuel and the Flame, which you guys should all read. Um, but in all of this, um, basically the whole argument was, um, what if you had one evangelist who did like a huge conference every single day and a thousand people came to the Lord every single day for a whole year? Okay, have that, have that image in your mind. That's a lot of people, okay? That's actually 365,000 people a year that are saved and come to Christ. Okay. 
cool, awesome. You're like, yeah, we're going to knock this Great Commission thing out in no time. Well, then, let's say you do the exact same thing the very next year, okay? Then that puts you at 730,000 people. Okay, cool. And then, on the flip side of that, you look at disciple makers, okay? So year one, I start with me and one girl, and we're discipling. Okay, cool. Two people going strong. Okay, then we go to year two, and me and the girl that I discipled, we go out and disciple more people. Okay, now we're up to four. So now you have this aspect of multiplication versus addition. But yet, you look at the year two over in the addition part, and you're like, man, these people are like killing these disciple makers. And then you keep going and keep going, and in disciple making, you keep multiplying. So now, at year 10, if you keep with the trend of addition, now you're at, oh my gosh, this is three million. Okay, thank you. Wow, sorry guys. I just, I really can't. Okay, now you're at basically 3 million. And then disciple making, you're at 512 people. So still, it's looking like this addition principle is winning, okay? But you keep this addition principle, and in 38 years, if you keep with the addition principle, now you're at 13,870,000 people. That's a lot of people, okay? But that's not the whole world. But if you keep with this multiplication factor, and also I did this math last night too, just to like check myself, I promise. Um, but if you do this disciple making aspect and you keep with the multiplication, in year 38, you reach the whole world. And I bring this up because one, again, the first time I ever thought of that, it blew my mind. Because yeah, I love the Falls Creek story. I love those things. I love those stories and those stories are great. But Jesus did not choose the easy way. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I'm going to ask him when we get up there. He chose the way of, hey, I want you to invest deeply into one person for an entire year. And then the next year, do it again. And the next year, do it again. And that's how you reach the world. You don't reach the world by just continuing to add on to people. You reach the world by deeply investing in people. And it is hard, but you have to ask yourself, am I going to be doing that? Am I going to follow what Jesus said? And then am I going to deeply invest within people? And again, in verse six, as Paul says, you became imitators of us. It goes back to our question of, okay, so I'm supposed to have people imitate me or am I even living a life worthy of imitating? Am I even living a life worthy of reproducing? Do people see the joy that you have and the desire to live like Jesus that you have? Because ultimately, even in this, they're not even following you. The girls that I disciple, they're not trying to become like mini Christas because the world does not need that. Literally, what they're becoming is, as I'm following Jesus, these girls are also following Jesus because ultimately I'm saying, hey, I'm going to mess up, follow Jesus. And then we see in verse 7, they, then we see Paul talking to the Thessalonians, and he says, so that you became an example to all the believers. So now we see this idea of multiplication. We see that Paul went and he discipled some of the Thessalonians, and now they're going out and they're becoming other examples. So Paul's not just making disciples, but he's making disciple makers, and that's the whole thought process behind it. Because again, the the gospel does not stop with you. Um, 
and a lot of our BCMs, um, TU BCM is really in this, they do um, kind of this campaign of like the chain link and they ask like, who's the next, who's the next link in your chain? Or they ask, has the chain stopped with you? Who, what links are you putting in your chain? Because if the disciple making process has stopped with you and you're sitting there and you're going, I've never made a disciple and I've grown up in the church for 22 years. Why are you neglecting the one thing that Jesus told you to do? Verse eight, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So in verse 10, you kind of have this hint of this eternal perspective of, okay, I'm living in light of Jesus coming back one day. But we see that the gospel has impacted these people so much that Paul literally states that their faith has sounded forth before a lot of people. And yes, that is kind of playing into the addition um, principle, but these people were deeply discipling others, and we'll see that throughout all of this series of First Thessalonians. But in this, we see that as Christians, our job is to go and make disciples. And I, I watched this documentary one day. Um, I just feel like I'm giving you guys all these resources. Um, okay, it's called Yimby Yimby and to the Nations, and it's 30 minutes, um, and it's th- this um, man and his wife that go and live among this tribe, and they live among this people group, and they learn these people's language they literally translate the Bible into their language. They give them the Bible, they plant a church, and they leave. And at the beginning of this documentary, they were interviewing them, and the wife said, as missionaries, our job is to work ourselves out of a job. And that just, I was like, whoa. Like, I've never thought of it like that. But what if as Christians we adopted that principle? What if we were so keen on, hey, our job is to make disciples. Our job is to literally work ourselves outside of a job, meaning that the whole world is just filled with Christ's disciples. Because ultimately, that's the whole goal. Matthew 24, 14 says, and this gospel will be preached among all the nations, and then the end will come. That's it. It's not, hey, I'm going to make this amount of money, and then the end will come, or I'm going to get this degree, and then the end will come. It's the gospel will be preached among the nations. But how do you get the gospel to be preached among the nations? You make disciples. So again, as Christians, our job is to literally work ourselves out of a job, literally work until the day Jesus comes back. In verse 9, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Okay, so now we get back to the question of, am I living a reproducible lifestyle? Do people see an actual shift from who you were to now who you actually are in Christ? Do people see that you turned from idols to God? I mean, we literally heard Brittany's story and how the Lord transformed her life. And that wasn't of anyone who shared the gospel with her, anything. That was literally all through the power of the gospel. But again, we see the power of the gospel move in a way in her life that turned her from 
literally death to life. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. It's not, oh, okay, like, I'm here, and now I have all these really cool Christian friends that like to go and get canes with me. Brahms is better. Um, no, it's literally you are coming from this place of death to life. And as Christians, that's what you're dealing with. That's the gravity of the gospel. That is the whole aspect of, hey, I need to ask that I would be wrecked with an urgency of the gospel, and I need to pray that over the people I disciple, and I need to go and make disciples that make disciples that make disciples, because at the end of the day, it's literally not about me. It's about God being known among the nations. But you have to ask yourself, do I have that mindset? And do people see that that shift in me? And Acts 4.13, Peter and John are before... um, basically the government officials of the time um, and these government officials make this comment and it says um, in Acts 4.13 now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated ordinary men they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus can people tell that you spend time with Jesus or do people tell more that you spend more time binge watching Netflix because all you can talk about is the new Stranger Things season, which was really good. Um, <laughs> or can people tell that you've spent time with Jesus? Can the, the ladies and the men that you disciple, can they tell that you spent time with the Lord that morning before you guys even met? Can the others around you, the people you work with, can they see that there is something different about you? And do people see the change in your life that the gospel has produced? Again in verse 10, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So this is this eternal perspective change, okay? The gospel has, yes, taken you from death to life, but now it's taking you to this place of waiting for the Son of heaven. It's given you this eternal perspective of, hey, one day Jesus Jesus is coming back, and I don't know if the person sitting next to me is going to be with me in that time. I don't know if this person around me that says that they're a Christian, I don't know if they actually mean that, or I don't even know if they actually know all of the implications of the joy of what it looks like to actually follow Christ. This was definitely... um, my story and a lot of student stories that I work with. Um, I just finished working at Tulsa Community College's BCM, but a lot of students, I sat with a lot, a lot of girls over the years that just would sit with me and they'd be like, man, I hate TCC. I'm not supposed to be here. Um, A lot of them would say that they grew up in the church and I would ask them about discipleship and it would blew me away how so many people would sit there and be like, I don't even know what that is. I've never made a disciple before. I don't know what that looks like. But it is all in this shift change, this perspective change of, hey, I'm here not for myself and not to advance my own kingdom, but to advance the Father's kingdom. And it is in this way that you begin to see this change within you and this perspective change in you, that then you go out and you begin to say, okay, God, like, how can I disciple others? How can I sit down with these students that don't really know you a whole lot and ask them like, hey, what what's discipleship look like in your life? What's your quiet time look like? What's your prayer life look like? 
and it doesn't even have I'm, I'm going to help you out here in a second. It doesn't have to be this formal thing of going up to somebody and saying, hey, um, can I disciple you? Like, it doesn't have to be that. It can literally, this is probably my favorite way to disciple. It can literally just be a moment of you going up to somebody and just saying, hey, come hang out with me today. Come, uh, I have to do some chores around my house. Come help me with that. And then you begin to ask them these questions and you begin to disciple them without them actually knowing and that's honestly the funnest thing about it um and then in a few like months they're like i understand what's happening but they're glad for the investment because then they're like hey i want to go and invest in others all of this in first thessalonians began with paul began with him having this eternal perspective and giving it to others and all of this began with paul living this reproducible lifestyle and going out and making disciple makers So I ask you, what is keeping you from making disciple makers? What is keeping you from living a life that is worth reproducing? Ask yourself that. And yes, there are still things in my life that I know is keeping me from seeking Jesus more um, and that I need to get rid of, but that's all part of the sanctification process, which Taylor talked a lot about. Because yes, the girls that I disciple, I'm going to stumble in front of them. I am very vulnerable with the girls I disciple. Um, I mean, I told you guys, um, my social media intake was literally keeping me from time that I could be spending with the Lord or memorizing scripture or doing stuff for support raising. Like it was keeping me from doing the things that the Lord called me to. And so I was very vulnerable with the girls that I discipled and I told them that and I said, hey, this is what's going on. And because of that, it even produced that own fruit within their own life. So yes, I'm going to sin and I'm going to stumble, but ultimately they're not trying to be more like me. They're trying to be more like Jesus. So the question more so is, hey, how do I encourage the people that I'm discipling to be more like Jesus? And if you're going to ask yourself, if you're going to ask them that, and you're going to ask yourself how you can help them in that, you also have to ask your own self, hey, how can I be more like Jesus? How can I live a more reproducible lifestyle? So again, uh, go make disciples. And if you're not discipling somebody and you're sitting there and you're like, maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, I don't even know how to disciple somebody because I've never had someone disciple me. Okay, find someone older in the church, older in your family that you know that is a more mature believer than you and just ask them, hey, would you be willing to meet once a week? Would you be willing to disciple me? And it might be kind of a formal thing, but seriously, the Lord knows, especially if you pray about it. I, um, I had this moment of, um, I was discipling these girls and I had a couple of people actually at reach. Um, I met with some girls just to hang out and two of them asked me, Hey, who's discipling you? And I was like, uh, <laughs> I was like, no one. And I got so convicted of that. And so I started praying and I was like, God, like I need someone to disciple me, but I just have I just didn't feel like I had anybody. And then he brought someone to my mind. So I was like, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to go ask her. And it's kind of awkward at first. Um, and it was really awkward when I asked her because she started crying. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, what I do? And um, she just looked at me and she said, I have been praying for the past two months that I could disciple somebody. But I said, God, if you want me to disciple somebody, you're going to have to bring them to me. 
And that's literally what happened. The Lord had already been working on her heart, and I had been praying for somebody to disciple me, and the Lord was already working in both of our hearts to now my Monday mornings at 8 a.m. with her are literally the most like exciting times I look forward to. But it took me saying, okay, I need somebody to disciple me. The girls I disciple, every semester I say, okay, God, who do you want me to disciple? And every semester without fail, he's given me girls that I didn't even know I needed in my own life. And he's given me girls that I can meet them where they're at. But it takes you asking and saying, hey, God, who should be discipling me? Hey, God, who should I be discipling? And those are two prayers that I can guarantee the Lord is going to answer. And the Lord is going to give you people in that because that is aligned with his heart. And again, if you're scared about it um, and you're like, I don't know how, there's so many books. Literally go through First and Second Timothy. Um, just read the Bible. I mean, seriously, that's just um, how you figure out discipleship. And some of you guys are sitting in there and you guys are like, Krista, you've been saying is my life worthy of reproducing? And some of you guys might sit there and be like, I have to clean up a lot of things in my life before I do that. And I would encourage you, no. Be in the process, in the act of removing things to live a life that is worthy to reproduce. But um, I want you guys to look at Paul. He was literally murdering Christians and then he was discipling them. Like, that does not make sense. Um... But Paul grew to live a life worthy of reproducing because he simply followed Jesus. And you might think, and I want, I want to close on this point and really hit this home because I think it's really important. Um, again, you are not, ultimately, you're reproducing your life to live more like Jesus. First John 2, 6 says, those who love him ought to live like him. So if you love Jesus, you ought to live like Jesus. And that's what you are calling the people you're discipling to. So it's not an arrogant thing to ask yourself, am I living a life worth reproducing? That's simply you, if you want a different question to ask, simply ask, hey, how can I be more like Jesus today? And in that, you begin to see that and you begin, your eyes begin to be open to the people around you that do need to be discipled, the people around you that can be discipled. Hey guys, this is Philip Jackson, pastor of Young Adults at Evergreen Baptist Church. I want to invite you to come to Reach. We meet every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at Evergreen Church in South Tulsa, just east of Mingo on 111th Street. The mission of Reach Tulsa is to cultivate a young adult community that's defined by real transformation and a sincere pursuit of a godly life through training in biblical disciplines, personal development, and intentionally transitioning into independence as mature members of the body of Christ. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe to our content. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Reach Young Adult Ministry is a part of Evergreen Baptist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information and additional lessons, please visit our website, evergreenbc.org.